Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding, sitting next to Jeffrey Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. Hope it's going great for everybody else. So I was just telling Jeff that our Howard Marks podcast, Value Versus Growth, and the discussion that we had okay. was probably one of our more downloaded podcasts. And you know, this whole idea of value versus growth really had me thinking. Uh-huh. And the, I guess a lot of the premise of the podcast, if you will, and I guess a lot of stuff that you were talking about, it's like competition. Okay. Right. And how important, um, you know, companies that have high barriers to entry and can fend off competition, still be mm-hmm. around and all sorts of things like that is to the investing process. So I want to do more of a free form podcast, just really talking about competition because okay. competition is where my mind immediately goes when I think about a company. All right. Right. So whether it's like location, um, you know, scale advantages, stuff like that. Like, w- right. how is the company going to be able to, you know, fend off the competition that is going to come? Um, you know, yeah, eventually. I think for us, that's where our minds go first, which is different for a lot of people. Their mind first goes to what's the opportunity for the product or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, like you're seeing it in real life right now. I mean, more companies are coming out with their own electric vehicle right. companies and, you know, stuff like that. Um, there's really not a Zoom competitor, is there? That's like big that I get. I'm think sure of, other than lot, like Skype I'm or sure something like that. I'm sure there's lots of competitors. I'm reading a book right now on eBay and it's amazing how many companies were doing the same thing eBay was before eBay was and what I mean what was Google I bet I personally used several different search engines before Google so it was Google 12th 13th 14th I don't know mm-hmm. but it wasn't one of the first few I mean if I knew about all three or four or five different search engines and had favorites before Google then what they were doing was not new uh-huh. um, but yeah. it's just it's so interesting I mean Bezos always talks about your margin is my opportunity mm-hmm. and just that's the way that you know things in technology can move so quickly and I don't know, it's just something where naturally, like you said, our brains go to the competition first, right. right? And if it's something that could be destroyed pretty easily, we're not even interested in it. But why is that? Like, I feel like in some, and maybe it's everything going on in the market, I don't know. People are more active maybe than we are, I don't know. But I do feel like a lot of people, they're much more comfortable investing in businesses that... Mm-hmm. could be competed away or have competition come in is yes. it really competition doesn't matter but the rate of innovation is what's most important like what musk always talks about yeah i disagree maybe it's different if you're an operator like him no. but we're coming at it from an investor perspective no, but he's i don't a know a big investor he's yeah. gonna lose most of his money you know but yeah. well he could lose like 90 percent of his it'd still be okay but, right? and it'll be great <laughs> yeah. but um no but i mean uh yeah, the it, it, that's true. To some extent, that's true. And what we just said, I mean, uh, in, in early stages, uh, it's just important to grow fast mm. and not necessarily have any sort of um, moat or anything like that. And then a moat might develop later. That's definitely true. Um, uh, the other thing is that I think a lot of people are always interested in the opportunity for the the generic product. Mm-hmm. So like they invest in a, a the people are investing in Tesla because of the brand and because of unique things about the organization and everything. But there are other electric vehicle companies. And in many cases, they may be investing in them because of the opportunities they see for electric vehicles generally, not just specifically the ones they're investing in. Mm-hmm. And that also is the difference. When I talk about some stock, you know, if I talk about like U.S. Lime or something, a lot of people will say, well, but will there be more Lime consumed, you know, uh, Lime Rock and stuff like that in 
you know, 20 years, 40 years, 100 years. If we talk about a car dealer, will there be more cars on the road? No. Our idea is that there'll be less competitors, mm-hmm. right? So, like, it, there doesn't have to be. Yeah. The, the line business is a good example. I don't think it's more important to the economy than it was 40 years ago. It's a lot better, or 40, 50 years ago. It's a lot better business than it was 40 or 50 years ago. So the industry changed in a way to make it less competitive that I like. And so same thing with car dealerships. And I think that's why Buffett bought into them. Yeah, what I thought was interesting in that podcast that I was referencing Andrew Marks was talking about Coca-Cola, and even if you bought at the peak, yes, you still earned a great return, mm-hmm. and that's very true. And you were talking about though, like it's just there's a di- the competitive landscape, and I guess the position in the industry for Coca-Cola is a lot different than a lot of these other companies that people talk about nowadays. Well, you know some of the other Nifty Fifty, right? Sure, I mean Troy Davidson, yeah, uh huh, right, which I think had a higher PE than than Coke, uh, Xerox. Xerox is a really interesting one. That that's the one that at its peak does remind me the most of Tesla. Now Tesla's gone even beyond that in terms of people's uh, love for the stock specifically. Mm-hmm. But Xerox immediately became a cultural phenomenon. People start using the verb Xerox and stuff within like five years of no one having used this product at all, and they came up with a totally new. Yeah. So what n- names do they give in there? So there's no general list for it, but. Um, so some of them, like one of them is owned by Berkshire now, Lubrizol, right? Mm-hmm. There's others that the generally the pharma ones either were merged together with other ones. Um, I recognize all those names were Disney, merged. Disney, Walmart, Xerox, yep. Slumberjay. Right. But I, like here's some examples that you may not know. Let's So Walmart um, is a retailer you know. Looking at the other retailers, do you even recognize some of their names? So like do you know – uh so here okay far right here you want to click on that one which there. one squid second second down ss yeah kmart there you go um got that kmart connection do you know what that means uh, no i don't know <laughs> um, <laughs> when we play xbox growing up in like middle school if someone had like bad connection or lag you'd be like you have kmart connection oh kmart <laughs> connection. Like, good that's that turned out much better oh, than yeah. what i thought a kmart connection was oh yeah um <laughs> so yeah so if you look at the nifty 50 things there's certain ones that are a bit of a problem and um the main things for them right uh that that didn't work out is interesting so it's really by industry now there's some other ones that didn't work out too and we talked about this um uh, it's like never a good idea to invest in the biggest company in the world or, you know, biggest market cap. It always ends badly. I mean, I think on average that strategy, you just like buy, you should buy the index and short the biggest part of the index or whatever. It probably would work out pretty well in terms of returns. But um, you see that like GE is in there. Mm-hmm. So that turned, that didn't really work out that great. Although it did for a while. Seems like a lot of the consumer brands. Yes. Consumer oriented. So Gillette. All the consumer uh, Walmart, McDonald's. Coca-Cola and a lot of it isn't even yeah and a lot of it isn't even that it's I mean other things like that yeah the consumer things anything with a brand Mm -hmm. did really well so everything from cigarettes to uh, Disney right but what didn't do well for instance is retail and and why is when I say it didn't do well these were some of the most expensive most everyone should buy these stocks stocks and some of them are bankrupt and almost generally were in decline from not that long after um, when we talk about Kmart and uh, Sears, for instance. So you don't want to pay a really high price 
for a stock that actually turns out those turn out to be worse than their respective industries like the rest of the industry the rest of the retail industry actually gained ground on them so they were like you know the inevitables as buffett would say mm-hmm. but they actually lost ground to the rest of their industry they turned out not just these stocks are overpriced but that the buying the leader is a mistake that everyone else is going to do better um in other ones in other industries it didn't work out that way and and i've mentioned that before with like pharma i owned a uh, video game company. And one thing I looked at was things like the development of different industries, including pharmaceutical stuff, including publishers and some things like that, that I thought were economically similar. And I thought that they were the same thing that like all the video game publishers would do okay because of that. And it's just a thing about looking at the structure of the industry and thinking about that, as opposed to things like retail. Um, you know, retail's has a pretty short lifespan Mm -hmm. and you can see that with tech some of these companies are the tech companies are still around um and some are very big still some weren't total disasters but they've receded in terms of their importance economically and everything like that so even things like texas instruments and ibm Mm -hmm. right which are their two two of their picks um and were at the time very conservative sorts of picks for that there's other ones that like pretty immediately would have been problems i'm guessing uh schlumberger uh you know the if you look at the nifty 50 it's not a matter of many years until there's some real problems with oil stuff Mm -hmm. there um but they were leaders in those fields but the fields that really worked out were the consumer ones so for whatever reason it's true that they really got those right um those stocks their profitability did not decline a lot and a lot of the other ones are hard to tell, but you know the Cokes and the Gillettes and things—the things that Buffett bought, um, as opposed to the tech things, and some of the other ones like that. So, what do you think? Is that? I mean, PepsiCo is on here as well. Yep, and you Pepsi know, and Coke both do great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that because humans are more habitual? Do you think people like to still, you know, for example, smoke the same cigarettes, drink the same, you know, Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Yeah. I think some industries are better than other industries. I think any industry where there can be severe miscalculation is just a worse industry. So there's two kinds of miscalculations, right? Cyclical industries have miscalculations. like Schlumberger. And so industries that are changing cyclically Mm -hmm. is one. But then the other one is industries that are just changing, you know, S-curve type changing. They're changing because of technology stuff. I think there can be major miscalculations in both, lots of money wasted, and a lot of mistakes made by the company. Uh, and so that can be a very big problem. Um, and I think we can overlook that when you look at things like the Nifty 50. You can overlook that Disney... Uh, Disney's a great example because Disney... Um, almost from the moment they were picked for the nifty 50 actually maybe before then i mean uh but anyway let's say certainly from nifty 50 stuff for over a decade or something like that um was mismanaged you know made a lot of mistakes all that that michael eisner they did no before eisner oh that's eisner coming in is the is the shift there um no i mean a lot if you look at what disney did for a lot of the period between walt's death and eisner taking over um there's a the company's success is all based on stuff that was from built up earlier and would be built up later there's a very long period of just not doing that well um Companies like Texas Instruments probably can't deal with, you know, a decade and a half 
of not really doing much uh, good work. Mm-hmm. And Disney went for a long period of not doing good work. Uh, and they survived it, and they had a whole library of stuff from then, and their brand held up well to it and all of that. Mm-hmm. Coke messed up a lot of things. Gillette messed up a lot of things. Gillette had, like, basically allowed a disposable business to, like, come in and take huge share from them and everything, and has had things like that happen to them several times. You know, uh, Munger's speech on the uh, Coke thing where he inverts it and stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about that is when he explains the things that, you know, Coke's been a big success, but think of the dumb things that they've done over the years. And so that's the business that can make those kinds of mistakes, right? So those are the kinds of ones in the Nifty 50 that were able to make a lot of those mistakes. Now, Buffett doesn't own all of them. Like McDonald's was successful. And he hasn't, as far as I know, gotten involved in, uh, he's not really involved in like restaurants, fast food. That's not something that he buys into. Um, Where does your mind go first? Like when you're looking at, a new company, you're reading the 10K, you're thinking about the competition. I know we've done a podcast before where there's subtle things companies okay. can describe their business as, where which could, I guess, give you a little bit of a tell. Like if they say that they compete on price, mm-hmm. that's probably something that I don't think we'd be. I mean, maybe we would be, but that's just something that would stick out to me right away. I'd be like, eh, right. I don't know if I like that. I mean, where does your mind immediately go? Like what is the favorite, your, I guess, if you had to pick a competitive advantage that you think is the best, what would you pick? Is it like location of the asset? Is it um, where price isn't an issue? High switching costs? Is it the brand in general? It's the mind share with the customer. We're meaning a You're specific so customer and stuff. So it's not important that lots of people know about it. Mm-hmm. Seize Candy's you know, if you live in 49 out of 50 states, you don't know about it and it's not important Yeah, to people in Illinois don't know about no. it. Where else from? Right. So, um, not important. But it is that, yeah, it's that mindshare. Um, so, how do you describe that then? So, like when people well, in I California mean, you think about... Can, yeah, exactly. That it means something to them. Does the product mean anything to them? Um, that is a good example. It's small but a good example is to some people, American Express does mean something. To no one does Visa and MasterCard mean anything. Visa and MasterCard people. don't have brands. American Express does. Yeah, or another true. way of putting it is American Express has positioning mm-hmm. in marketing terms. Visa and MasterCard don't. Um, I mean, they ran some nice ads, some of them, and some of them are, are uh, memorable, but they didn't in any way position themselves differently. Mm-hmm. And American Express is much higher spending per person and higher spending per merchant and stuff. And it runs a different kind of network. Whether that's a big advantage or not now, I don't know. But they've had that since the beginning. Um, so it means something to some people to use American Express. It means something to interact with their customer service in a way it does not with the other um, companies. And it's a, But of course, those companies have been more successful than American Express. You mm-hmm. know, They've mm-hmm. grown bigger. Um, following a different sort of model. Does industry growth scare you if it's like if it's yes. grown rapidly? Yep. It's, that's what kills a lot of companies is industry growth, is growth in their industry. Because a lot of people will be like, well, they're going to have more customers. They're going to, you know, theoretically produce more revenue. This yeah. could be great. The, if you read a bunch of Valley Investor Club write-ups or just any write-up, quite frankly, it's always about, well, the industry's 
expected to compound at a 20% keg over the next five years? Yeah. I mean, it depends. Um, the danger is, so there's a few dangers. One, the best thing, the best thing any industry can hope for, right, is the lack of a survivable zone. So I've talked about that before. The, the risks as to why you have competition in an industry is if people can be funded for a time in an industry while their product is pretty poor um, and that kind of thing. So can I come into your industry, break my promises, not have a very good brand, run my company badly, whatever, and stick around for a while? And in some industries, the answer is yes. Right. So, I mean, if there's one restaurant in town, I come in with a second one. It could be pretty lousy. I'm not going to be out of business that fast. It was scary when you talked about Arc restaurants. We said in New York City, if you close down a restaurant, it's not going to become like a bank branch, uh, a right. bank branch or anything. Mm-hmm. It's going to become another restaurant. Right. Exactly. But then, if I try to come in and compete with, um, uh, you know, whatever it might be, like a cement plant, I won't have sufficient scale right away. Um, those are obvious examples, but there's some parts of businesses that are very easy to survive for a long time and others that aren't. There are some industries now, we've talked about them before, where it's interesting, the only way that some companies survive is VC capital. So, but that does, that does cause, um, a difficulty in pricing for some companies in that industry or something because they have to make sure that they don't you know have someone else massively scale up right so then there's different ways in which a company can survive and, and grow and gain experience and stuff a traditional way of doing it is like focusing on making as much of a product as possible at a lower price so attacking the very low end stuff that has like the worst profits for another company you hope not to attract them trying to push you out and you generally learn better how to make things and stuff. That's what my example with like Gillette and thing is one of the risks is not just that some people might like disposable razors and stuff when it first starts happening, but also that you then get competitors who learn how to do those things. So mm-hmm. you don't really want competitors to learn how to do the things that you do. Um, that's the great example that Munger gave. I mean, Coke is successful business by basically giving up half of its business in the u.s to someone else Mm -hmm. who just is the same it commoditized it into two companies um so i that's one thing to think about um now in some industries it's fairly easy to have a to be surviving right it's not that difficult so uh and that's always where people talk about barriers to entry and all that um it's not hard it's not really that hard to create a advertising agency that continues to exist for a while and can fund itself and stuff. It's not that hard to have a bank that can do that. So are the barriers to entry really low or really high? It depends on what you mean. We can't create something like that. You could create something like that locally and have some success with it. You could create a law firm, right? But if you look at the list, when we look at a bankruptcy filing or some M&A or something, the list of what law firms they used isn't changing. So, like, is there a barrier to entry for those law firms or for those auditing things? You can create, I mean, it would not be hard to create an accounting firm and have some success and have a successful practice and stuff. But you're not going to be one of the top 10 auditing firms mm-hmm. in the U.S. So that's the other thing with barriers to entry is, like, what do we, we mean by that? Um, you know, you can start up restaurants to compete with ARC. Can you duplicate McDonald's or something? You know, that's harder. Can Just because anyone can open a restaurant, does that mean Chipotle doesn't have a moat? Mm-hmm. So barriers to exit, yes, which is something that you talk about a lot, right? How would that thought process apply to the cruise industry, for example? 
cruise industry is yeah it's a big problem huge problem the cruise industry <laughs> so you have these massive ships they're not going anywhere they they can go they do get rid of them they can go to like you know india or something instead of being in the united states but they in general what happens is you can take them down from being competition in the sense of premier u.s cruise lines to somewhat secondary to countries that don't really compete with the u.s to eventually they're like you know they're garbage they're mm -hmm. they're being used to you know you're sinking them and stuff so um that entire process could take three or decades or something yeah mm -hmm. so if you have too much capacity coming on now it's a huge problem yeah because you think problem. about like every now and then i mean you could run any screen and you'll probably find a staffing company or marketing mm -hmm. company on there and it always screens really great right produce a lot of cash flow capital light because it's really just humans and mm -hmm. stuff, right? And it looks great. And you could look at histories of these companies. And then a recession comes and everything falls off a cliff. Right. Right. And that's because the barriers to exit for that business is basically what? Like nothing. It's it's very easy to fire your employees and then basically be done. Right. And so if barriers to exit are low, you can... The recovery in the industry can be fast. Mm -hmm. Where if bears are to exit are high, the recovery in the industry will be slow. Um, shipyards are a good example. So they have a really big problem. Mines are another good example. But there, there tend to be a lot of things that um, will have to produce even if their justification for them now doesn't make sense they're here only because they're we're already here you know mm -hmm. the, the cruise line one is a good example i think if cruise companies had known how high oil prices were going to be they would have built they would have bought less ships there would have been less orders for ships but they didn't have a crystal ball for how high oil prices would be and without knowing how high oil prices would be over the next like 20 years or so then they were making estimates on ships that were incorrect for that time mm -hmm. now this could reverse at some point there could be a day where they're making estimates based on really expensive oil and it turns out that, you know, oil is more plentiful for them than they expected, you know, for the next 20 years. But that kind of cyclicality is like that it comes from miscalculations. You don't have cyclicality unless you have some uncertainty and some confusion about future conditions, you mm -hmm. know. Um, well, it's yeah. easier to make a bet on people continuing to drink Coca-Cola or PepsiCo or eat at McDonald's. None of those things change it, yeah. Uh -huh. it, it's it's future-proof and stuff. But if you're thinking about like, home builders right mm -hmm. we can predict the future for coke without having to know things about interest rates and stuff but we can't for home builders you mm -hmm. know um for like i just said for cruise things they even need to know things like oil and for uh, you know other stuff like that lots of things have commodity prices that go into them and all of that and they're counting on lots of different steps along the way um which are driving what the what the pricing is i'm curious to hear about your thoughts on like long-term contracts as a source of competitive advantages i don't so we own a company that has long-term contracts um but i've pointed out before that we don't own it because it has long-term contracts mm -hmm. though it does um we own it because it is this the existence of them as the supplier and who they're supplying are co-located for the very reason of the operation, which is what the contract is all about. So I wouldn't want a, just a contract. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I read a lot of write-ups and it's usually long-term contracts in commodity companies. Right, and which it's I don't, great, and then but it it's just like globally traded. It's so. a globally traded commodity. I don't like that. You know, you know that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas I do think it's an advantage 
I mean, you could argue about it, how, what, what it is, but if you have a steel plant somewhere and someone reuses something, recycles things and stuff from what you're using or processes things for you that they're located near you if that's a very expensive thing to transport or something, right? So I do think that there are big advantages to um, dependencies and codependencies and stuff like that. Um, I don't think you need a contract when that's the case. We've talked about that before with ad agencies. You know, ad agencies usually retain their clients for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, banks usually retain their clients for a very long time. They usually don't have detailed contracts that can't be terminated pretty fast. In fact, they can often be terminated much faster than other things that that don't um, last that long. So just the automatic, the sort of thing that you're automatically going to renew something would be helpful. But I, but I do think that... Um, unique advantages with certain customers like once you've established a a position with them is very helpful that's a huge advantage that some software companies have is that they get into the organization or an individual so that they're um they're just incorporated into their however you want to put it their daily routines their workflow whatever you however you want to say it um so that they're automatically that's what they think of so if you just you know get trained on and stuff, some of the stuff that you do is just to open up Excel or Word or whatever, or a certain browser or to use certain things for social media or whatever. Um, it isn't even like you're actively choosing it at that point. You become like blind to the fact that you're using Google for search, mm-hmm. um, and it's just you know um, that kind of thing is not a contract, but it's kind of more valuable than anything else. And that's the thing about brands. We talk about brands. Brands are a complicated topic because, like, I think the Coca-Cola brand is very, very valuable. I don't know the Coca-Cola brand allows you to charge a lot more. There are other brands that allow you to charge a lot more, and people will say that the, that means that those brands are more valuable. Mm-hmm. But that's, like I said, like a positioning thing. Well, you think about Apple, for example. So you gave the example of Buffett waiting for iPhone yes. to become very normal before buying into Apple, right? right? More of an ecosystem as, as mm-hmm. opposed to... Um, I guess just straight up crazy growth, but you know, to your point about the products and with the customer, I mean, now Apple's selling five hundred dollar headphones. Yes, you know, and they went to the watch game and mm-hmm. they had AirPods and all these other things, and people are willing to buy it because Apple's known for you know a great brand, whatever people like it. So I'm just kind of curious. I mean, yeah, your I thoughts think that's on that? true, but their big success has been. It's interesting. Apple's really interesting. One, their whole original like campaign advertising, whatever, and what they eventually became very successful for two opposite things. So like difference and half the country is going to all use the same product that we're going to make look the same mm-hmm. and like everything. So that's interesting from a positioning thing. So what is their positioning? But two is um, what you were saying is absolutely true, but I think it's all around the iPhone. So I haven't seen that the brand, the resurgence of the brand in later years did all that much when you look at how much it moved things for them in computers and stuff that were like almost different groups of people using them. Maybe it's like the best model to look for in companies is where you, it's like you just can't live without it. Even if you want something else, like yes. you just can't. So it's like, okay, yes, I, I do have Sony headphones, noise canceling mm-hmm. ones, because I think yeah. they're the best ones. But I also do have AirPods like for the gym. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's nice to just throw AirPods in. And it's Apple. It's all like you know one thing right yes so the, that work together and all that kind of thing yeah i mean that's a huge disadvantage that bose has right so the biggest disadvantage that bose has versus some competitive competing things and stuff is the likelihood that their product won't work as well 
with other things. Mm -hmm. So someone can make something that works well with Xbox as compared to them. Someone can make something that works better with desktops as compared to them. Each time they have to do it for a different operating system and all that sort of thing. Some of them can do it for Apple. It's unlikely that someone would have an advantage on them on sound. Mm -hmm. um, but that may not be the most important factor because you'll buy other competing products, yeah. even for something which people would perceive to be the most important thing is sound or comfort or whatever, is also how well does it work with other stuff? Mm -hmm. How easy is it? Ease of use is a really, really big thing. And like just um, convenience or, you know, like I said, like you always want to ban laziness and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as you said, the can't live without thing, as we see, some of these products are addictive in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, not a lot of them, you know, on the uh, on the nifty fifty, but there are a lot of ones like that. And certainly, whether it's been cigarettes or, um, you know, to be honest, a lot of the money the drug companies have made is on stuff that you use each day. Not on, you know, they're not making that money on vaccines. Mm -hmm. They're making <laughs> yeah. that. They're making that money on, um, you know. They call that reoccurring revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a lot more it's a lot more uh, depression pills than vaccines and things like that. Um, uh, and you know, and then you know, other things that we've talked about before. You know, alcohol. There's not a lot of like sin stocks on there, but you know, whether it's alcohol, gambling, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, they also have the same sort of thing with habitual use, which has some real similarities with Coke. And Buffett's talked about that. I think people, Buffett and Munger have talked about it, really underestimate that with Coke. The importance of the physical properties of Coke. They think that they're just like telling a cute story about it or something. Mm -hmm. But it's very, very important to understand that. Well, we went through it in that speech that he gave that you yes. referenced. So it's, you know, it has uh, some caffeine in it. Right. The aftertaste doesn't bother people. So you could have like three like to no four five. It has like no taste memory. So you can drink... There's very few uh, products like that. So, and some of them don't work. It's like eating chocolate, like the 10th right. chocolate bar. You're going to be like, this is disgusting. The easiest things by far, Coke and coffee are the two things that people could drink in very large amounts all the time, probably. It probably could work for wine for some people, but then there's too much alcohol in wine, yeah. so it doesn't work. <laughs> um, where, well, that's the other thing. Do you want your drug to be a down or an up, or you want it to be an upper? Yeah, you know, you sure. want it to be caffeine or nicotine that you're selling. Those are better products to sell people than alcohol. Like every single day. Well, yeah. you can see that with alcohol, right? So alcohol companies have had success, but they've had to have success by raising their prices all yeah, the time. The because we, Right, but they wouldn't do that if they could convince people to drink six um, six of their beers every day throughout the day. Yeah. But they're, they have trouble convincing them the same way that Coke can. But you can convince them for Coke. You can convince them for coffee, right, mm -hmm. to just, like, drink it all day long. But you can't convince them for alcohol because the product, in a sense, is not as good that way. So what do you do? You make alcohol very prestigious, right? Mm -hmm. It's a special event sort of thing. It's a, oh, you're only having one of these today. You know? I'm having a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you up the pricing, right? Uh -huh. So that you can have much higher prices on your, you know, so things that have very high alcohol by volume have to have very high pricing versus competitors. Coke doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't make your Coke 10 times more expensive by volume than your, your nearest competitor, but you can do that if you're selling something that's 50% alcohol or something. Well, remember when Richard Branson started his own cola? Yeah. And tried to compete with Coca-Cola? Yeah, and, and that's, I think, is one, I honestly think that's part of the thing with, like, Buffett is, like, the new Coke thing and all that. I think when a company messes up um, or has a threat to it and you realize, oh, this isn't, like, they can survive even this, 
you know, I probably people should have, I didn't, uh, but other people should have realized um, the time to buy Moody's was after the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Just because if they could survive that being criticized every day by people who had no idea who Moody's, I I mean, on news programs and things, it became everyone in America knew what Moody's was and S&P were, and no one had ever heard of them before um, as being responsible for why they didn't have homes and stuff. Um, If they could survive that, then basically they're in a position where they can survive anything. If mm-hmm. Coke can FICO. create, yeah, yeah, FICO exactly, where they their biggest competitors, their biggest customers created a competitor to them. Um, so yeah, and and Coke like new Coke and all of that with coming with that competition. I mean, Coke before Buffett went in, it's amazing how terrible a period of like not that long they had in terms of how much they lost. Like um, they lost significant share to Pepsi in things like supermarket sales and stuff in their home market of the US. They had the new Coke fiasco and all that. So they tried to come out with a product that, you know, on all those problems that they had from that. And it shows how strong their position was that even when they had severe self-inflicted wounds, they were able to survive it, mm-hmm. you know? What's funny about Buffett too with Coca-Cola is in the snowball, he would drink Pepsi, but yes. put cherry syrup in there. Yep. And yeah. then he switched. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was a Pepsi drinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, I mean, the difference between like a Texas Instruments and a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi or a Gillette, I would say it's much more, yeah, that's they have the mind share that people think about. I'll give you an example. I think um, Texas in- Instruments, I think of a calculator that I have in my desk. <laughs> I, have a, I have such a calculator. Yeah. I, I have to compliment Texas Instruments. I have a calculator for 23 years. Yeah. Still working, doesn't mm-hmm. have a battery, it's solar powered, it never had to have anything changed about it. I used it every day of my life for the last 23 years. Look at that. Um, and it costs the same amount today, I mean, their newest version of it probably, as it did then. You know, the prices probably come, mm-hmm. uh, the nominal prices stayed the same, but the real prices dropped. Um, so I think um, that, yeah, the, the thing is, like with Texas Instruments, how much can you? run things poorly and still do okay. So Texas Instruments is very much a Phil Fisher type stock. In fact, he talked about Texas Instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, We prefer businesses where you can make some mistakes, I guess is the best way to put it. That's where, you know, when we talk about things like, uh, I mean, Disney's a good example. Disney will have 10 years that they do great job with everything and stuff, and then they'll have 10 years where they don't. You know, and and the, those ten years or whatever just don't really go into the canon. Um, and you don't have to remember them. And but the brand holds up very well over time. You know, despite that, it means something. Um, I think even companies like Walmart and stuff, they have logistical advantages that they developed over time. But also, they do have an idea of what it means to people, mm-hmm. which just meant low prices. They may say that there's other things, but just low prices. I guess everyday low prices are kind of their slogan, and that's just the perception of them. Not good value necessarily, not the lowest price on any given day, but just in general that that they have the lowest prices. Um, I still think something like Walmart's harder because although they have mismanaged things and McDonald's has mismanaged things for there's periods of a few years where things don't go well, um, I don't think that a retailer can have a very long period 
where you're making those sorts of mistakes where mm -hmm. they're not being run uh, very well. Mm -hmm. I think that you lose ground very quickly to your competitors and that's what would happen to them. If they, you know, if Walmart decided, oh, why don't we pursue a strategy that isn't really focused on pricing and stuff, but we'll, you know, we'll try to make our stores more inviting and like copy department stores and stuff more. Um, I think that if they did that for very long, they would fail. You know, they'd, they'd lose a lot of ground to their competitors. It's interesting that Chipotle has held up so great after their E. coli. Yes. So that's a great example. You know, right? Saga that happened. Yeah. That's a great example. I mean, they didn't really change much from like food taste or anything. So you look at like Domino's, mm -hmm. for example, when they ran like their worst sorry campaign. Right. Like, we know our food sucks. And they, but they like completely redid their whole pizza. They changed the sauce. It was like yep. a huge thing. But Chipotle, they just, you know, I guess um, upgraded their uh, health and safety protocols and stuff like that. Right. Yes. Yep. And there's been zero innovation at Chipotle no. over the past 10 years other than uh, queso, which the first time they came out with right. it, it was terrible. I remember Ackman was on CNBC. <laughs> and he's he like, and I've tried it, it and it was great. great. And then, uh, yeah, great. He said, so uh. it was great. And then I tried it. I was like, this is, how do you mess up queso? This is the easiest thing in the world. It was disgusting. But they've changed it. And now they it's actually, it. yeah, yeah, now it's actually really good. And um, the cauliflower rice that they just uh, started offering for like, well, an extra yeah. two bucks or something. They're gonna it's really good. They're they're playing right is to try a new thing like that all the time and then mm -hmm. keep what sticks like every year or something. Yeah, I mean they're starting to do more drive-throughs and stuff like that. Yeah, so that there that's a really good example. Starbucks, I find this fascinating. The Starbucks brand. So Starbucks started out as a thing that was let's be in the rest. Uh, the whole idea was it's a place to be in person, take your time, yeah, stay there out, as long yeah. as you want, whatever. Okay, kind of like how you use, you use a okay, Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> it now has tons of locations that are drive through only. Does an incredible amount of digital business mm -hmm. where people come pick up the product. And it's amazing, too, because when you think about it, like when people are coming to pick things up, it's been sitting there for a little bit. Mm -hmm. It defeats the whole purpose of everything that the – I mean, they're like doing the best food. they can for yeah. it. Uh -huh. But, I mean, it, you're now having stuff that isn't fresh made for you that you're having there. You're having something that it's that a special drink that's been sitting there for five minutes because you can't get there at the exact moment and whatever. You're driving there and you're not drinking your car or whatever. But the – basically the brand is still the same however you want to put it whatever the mind share is it's been there you can look at things from the 1990s some sitcom or something and there'll be jokes and stuff about starbucks basically just like we were talking about Domino's or something mm -hmm. it has mind share with people and so there is actually slight transition over time that allows it to adapt with culture and whatever it can do which is very different from retailers that we see and mm -hmm. from from tech things that things change with them so it's I mean, its business is very different than it started out. I mean, and Starbucks also didn't serve any food or anything to start with, you know, and then over time, that's they've, it's become more important. Um, and yet, it just develops that way. Like McDonald's, everything has changed and nothing's changed. Like, people kind of remember it as if it's the same thing from that whole period, mm -hmm. you know, and, and where it got started. And yet, everything slightly changed to the, the tastes of today and the, you know, what people want today. Um, but it still has that same – it's still used in the same way. It's still feel, filling the same need or whatever you – however you want to put it. Um, and those are the Buffett sorts of things. He uses McDonald's. He doesn't own McDonald's, but he uses McDonald's as an example. I'm sure he could – He well, I don't – he wouldn't use Starbucks as an example because he doesn't drink anything like that. But that's the same sort of thing, um, those con consumer things. And those definitely stuck around better. Um, the tech thing's not good. I'm looking because I was thinking about that because it burrows on it, right? Yeah. 
um kodak yeah all the film ones right where mm-hmm. didn't work out and some of them didn't even work out long before film failed because this has on it so just so people know the nifty 50 list that we're looking at includes uh i'm right includes xerox polaroid and kodak right yeah uh-huh. yeah so they went all in on film. what's up john uh it became it merged with uh, uh who did it merge with uh it's pharma In 1995, Pharmacia? Pharmacia, yeah. Interesting. Very cool. The company was owned by Pfizer from 2015 until 2020. That's what I was thinking. There you go. In 2020, the company merged. Oh, wow. So they merged again. Got it. Cool. Well, I guess the takeaway, and I think that's the good point, too, that you made, right? When you're talking about the prices people are paying for this future growth, they're not paying for companies that are going to be, I mean, maybe some of them will, of course, but it's not like a Coca-Cola or a, you know, um, a Walt Disney or a Walmart or a company that is pretty much certain to be around forever or Starbucks, McDonald's. Yeah. And they did have a tremendous growth. Some of these companies had tremendous growth for a period, which is an interesting thing, right? So like Starbucks was a super fast grower at one point. Mm-hmm. Chipotle was a super fast grower. And then they can you know mcdonald's was a lot of franchise things were then they were able to keep customers um after that point and that that's the question about it of like um how you distinguish that peter lynch liked exactly what we're talking about the growth companies that were the consumer growth companies not the tech who has tech like growth rates but is actually a um consumer you know brand company that will be around for a while after that um and it we're not like um this isn't just something that we feel uh buffett did buy walt disney in the 60s mm-hmm. for instance and Would, then was in cap cities too but what about like a six flags or like a cedar fair so the it's interesting the individual properties as you know generally have a great deal of longevity mm-hmm. a lot of longevity um but the corporations are surprisingly lacking in that and it may be that they take on too much debt to do deals mm-hmm. And that may be a big part of it and other problems like that. But it's not like there's a, there are some parks that have been closed down and stuff, but there's not a lot of parks that are closed down or EBITDA negative or something after having been successful for a while. So it's like financial related. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once you're successful, often 30 years later, you're still making, you made money every year, you know? Um, I mean, when we're looking at this list of companies, if you buy into a company and it generates free cash every year for decades, every single year, you had to have really paid a silly price for that not to be work out pretty well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so companies that just have extreme longevity and decent profitability, at least, um, do tend to work out. The The mistakes are the ones that actually end up having losses at some point in their history. So in those cases, I guess it's just the financial things. I mean, I can't really think of other reasons. The, the industry's kind of gotten simpler in terms of like lack of growth, there would have been a period of things closing from like the 50s to the 70s, I guess. But I'd say the last 30, 40 years, you have a lot of longevity there. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. We've mentioned supermarkets before. Individual supermarket locations often have been very stable in terms of their profitability. And yet you've had entire LBOs of companies and, Mer- and M&A stuff and whatever of forming and taking apart these different 
companies that even though there's still, if you go to your local uh, location, there's still a supermarket there just like there was decades ago. The name of it has changed over time, and it may have been through bankruptcy, even though it makes some money. It seems like a lot, like sort of the you know, life cycle is it's very mom and pop, it grows, and then maybe they sell it and it becomes institutionalized. And mm-hmm. then that's when they run into issues because there's a Once lot more you financial leverage you can raise and stuff. money on it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but at the same time, think about bankruptcies and stuff. You know, like of the uh, big drug, com- you know, drug companies and stuff, right? Or, you know, you could take any different example that we have here. It's not like you have a ton of bankruptcies of drug companies, ton of bankruptcies of you know, beverage companies that actually became successful brands. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things that you can put a lot of debt onto. There's been a lot of debt put onto cigarette companies without putting them under. Um, it's amazing how much has in some cases. So, you know, there are certain kinds of companies that can support a lot more financial engineering than others. A Gillette, even when Buffett bought Gillette, had negative shareholder equity. It had taken on a big amount of debt to do a, um, uh, to, kind of fend off a corporate raider hmm. yeah got it cool well i want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us here today on the focus compounding podcast if you want to support the podcast you can do that by hitting that subscribe button uh, either on the ios app spotify or youtube and leave us a rating and review as well i want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us and we will see you in the next podcast